Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I am your co-host, Kamika McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter here at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. Kaylee, how are you? How was your week? What have you been getting into? I mean, it was a short week, but the short weeks feel just endlessly long. I mean, Residence Day was nice to have off. I caught up on like some shows. I have been reading my romance books. Love that. Uh, given the, you know, romantic month. I, I don't know. I don't celebrate Valentine's Day at this stage of my life. <laughs> However, I do love a good, uh, like, romanticy book. What's the romanticy book you were reading? Oh, well, okay. So I've been in the middle of reading, like, Throne of Glass, the Throne of Glass series, mm. um, which is very, like, romanticy. Um, I'm looking to start Divine Rivals next. Mm. Um, and then I was doing just some, like, straight-up, like, romance books, like uh, like Love Theoretically. You know, just something lighthearted, little rom-com-esque, keep, keep the mind light and, uh, I don't know, distracted from the world's ills. I think that's a very good strategy. I will say that I struggle getting into fantasy, and I also struggle getting into romance. So a combination of those two things... <laughs> Would Fair be enough. a lot for it's me. Not for everyone. You know, the fantasy thing is because, like, I don't know if it's my brain when they're like, "Oh," and then we went to this insert name of world, made up world, and I'm like, I have to conceptualize this now, and I am struggling. <laughs> it's hard. Like my my thing with like covering like working in media is that like I cannot consume nonfiction <laughs> in my free time, so I need to be largely removed from everything going on, which is the same approach to like. TV mm-hmm. for the most part. Like I can only handle so much like drama or like crime shows. Forget it. Like I can't do those. Mm. I need to be watching Bob's Burgers. Got love. Abbott Elementary. Something like lighthearted and fun. Um, you know, Parks and Rec. Things like that. I can't I can't do something like I watched The Handmaid's Tale, but even that oh. like, I, I fell off at some point because it was just like it was tough. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody, but the main character made a lot of bad decisions that caused me to have to walk away from the show. Yeah, yeah. So, like that—that's where I'm at. What do you like? What What do you consume, books-wise or you know, television-wise? Okay. While I will, I did say that I'm not like a romance girly. I am, but like a tragic romance girly, like a Revolutionary Road type of romance type deal. I love like disillusionment kind of stories. I think it's contemporary mm-hmm. fiction would be kind of where my home is. Um, okay. I recently read a book called This Time Tomorrow. You want to talk about an opportunity to weep, sob, grief. Very good. Very well written. I think I gave it like a five out of five out of Goodreads. Okay. Oh, that's a that's a great rating. Every once in a while, I need something that'll like rattle me so I can have a good long <laughs> therapeutic cry. Um <laughs> But it's not all the time. I will keep that one in mind, though, when I'm when I'm at that that point in my emotional journey. God bless. This week, you spoke to an interesting person. You talked to Parker Morse, uh, which is uh, the CEO and founder of MyCode, um, who has been doing some interesting work, um, gobbling up some Latinx-owned publications to, to build out a diversified portfolio. So talk to me a little bit about that conversation that you guys had. Yeah, so Parker and I were talking about basically like the past almost decade now that since he's founded MyCode and it used to be HCode, it's then expanded to have a variety of different divisions and also like different like business arms too. But within the like 
publication side, the portfolio has really grown, um, as you said, in like the Latinx owned um, space. And there was like the acquisition of Remezcla um, a while back. And that like has really kind of established, as Parker describes, it's been able to establish a very diversified audience of um, Latinx demographics in different regions. So Mm. like it's, he's been focusing on trying to have a diversified audience, even if it's one like demographic, like, you know, Latinx, Hispanic, it's like looking at like New Yorkers versus people who live in Florida versus like California. And he's like, there's different like focuses. There's different like cultural aspects. And it's important to have representation of all of those different areas. And so we speak about how that diversified approach has, you know, come to be. It's been over the course of a few years. And this year he and his team, which he we also talk about how he's invested in growing the C-suite in the past year, uh, how they're really using 2024 as like a coming out party for the company to really like say like, hey, this is what we can offer to advertisers. This Mm. is how we're being a good partner to clients to show you like who you're reaching, the value of our audience and what they're able to, you know, drive when it comes to, you know, characteristics that advertisers care about, like household income, you know, stuff like that. Like there's a lot of buying power with our audience and this is our way of showing you who they are. Um, And then we get into like how their research kind of feeds into that too. Um, so there's a lot that we get into in this conversation also with, you know, cookie deprecation, what that kind of looks like for the business and how, you know, knowing who your audience is, is, is even more crucial than ever, especially when you're approaching advertisers. So there's a lot we get into. Uh, It was a really good conversation. Um, and I will stop stepping on his toes (laughs) and speak more about it. Fantastic. Let's get to it. Parker, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. My code's definitely been circulating in industry news for some time, but I do want to maybe start out by giving a little introduction to our listeners who are not as familiar with my code. I know you guys have gone through a few changes the past year or so as well, maybe because you founded it almost a decade ago, I want to say. Starting out with like a little bit of a primer on my code would be a, a good place to jump off from. Would love to. Yeah, I, I can't believe it's it's almost been a decade. So we've been been hard at work uh, almost the last 10 years. MyCode is a modern media and marketing company built to help brands build lasting relationships with diverse consumers. We have three core products that we help brands and agencies to solve with marketing to diverse consumers. One is research, two is content, and three is media. Uh, From a research perspective, we use panel research to provide unique and proprietary insights to our customers about diverse consumers so they become smarter and understand them better for how to market them, but also how to think about them for their products. On the content side, we have an award-winning creative studio. We've won a Can Lion, Clio's, as well as numerous other awards for creative work that we've done as a company, uh, where we take those insights to develop creative stories to bring to life authentic and representative advertising. So brands have real rich creative when marketing to diverse consumers. 
And then lastly, on the media side, we have a portfolio of trusted consumer brands, as well as we partner with about 1,200 different diverse targeted media sites to bring together a scaled media platform in the digital space across all digital formats so that brands, when they do market to diverse consumers, they have scale. Uh, and we combine that scale with performance uh, ad products and data targeting to ensure ROI is driven uh, with media spend at scale. And within your media division, how many brands are kind of within your portfolio currently? Because you have your your network of like 1,200, I think you said, different sites, but how many are kind of like owned by you guys? There's about 15 websites from a Hispanic perspective that we own and operate. We've acquired them over the last three or so years, bringing together a portfolio of Hispanic media properties that we think is incredibly powerful. Whether it's older Hispanics or younger Hispanics, male or female, we have trusted media properties that brands can utilize to create one-to-one connections with Hispanic consumers. And then we also have uh, about half a dozen fast channels within the CTV space with diverse content for consumers as well. And then, you know, we have very deep partnerships with third-party publishers, you know, those 1,200 that I had mentioned. You know, when you look at the diverse media landscape, it's incredibly fragmented. There's very few places of scale. Part of that has just been lack of investment from an advertising space into diverse media historically, which has left this gap in the market. But together, bringing all of those sites together, there's power in numbers uh, and scale that we're able to provide. Actually, my guest last week uh, was Carell Cooper from Group Black, and we had spoken about kind of the issues on the programmatic front with achieving scale and, and having a lot of interruptions from rudimentary kind of buying practices and how like keyword block lists have created issues, domain kind of site classification um, at a, you know, URL level have really interrupted that scaled play. Um, So it sounds like, you know, you've created this really great like network to, I guess, try to bypass some of those historical hiccups. But I am curious, the past few years I've been to a degree, I think, uh, more pledges towards investing in, um, you know, multicultural publications, Black-owned, Latinx-owned media publications, um, really trying to correct some of that allocation or non-allocation of budgets back towards these smaller publishers. I'm curious how those trends have been pacing, you know, in the past couple of years with advertising really kind of getting squeezed and there being a lot of hiccups on the programmatic side with cookie deprecation. Has there been any kind of like slowdown in what had been kind of like, you know, maybe a couple, three years of at least very vocal commitments to, you know, reallocating ad spend towards, you know, diverse owned media? You know, without a doubt, there were major commitments made in the last two to three years. Um, I think there's public accountability to those, you know, places or individuals or companies that have made those commitments. But if you take a step back, generally speaking, when you look at how have brands invested marketing dollars to diverse consumers, right about now, they, they invest about 5% of their budgets uh, earmarked for diverse or multicultural marketing. The multicultural or diverse audience represents 40% of the U.S. population. 
uh, and it's outpacing the general market growth. So where future growth is going to come from is diverse consumers. And so just those facts present an opportunity for brands to find growth and reach and resonate with the audience that they may not have fully marketed to historically. And so from a business perspective, there's a huge opportunity for them to increase investment. We've seen that investment increase over the last you know, two to three years, a lot of it from these commitments, a lot of these just from shining a lens on the power of diverse consumers and how younger consumers are different completely than older consumers and the need for brands to innovate and move things forward. And so all of that movement, you know, I believe has created a new floor, not a ceiling um, for what diverse marketing is moving forward. Um, I think the general economic environment has caused that growth to slow down. But in meetings that we've had continually with brands and agencies, the intent has not gone away. It's not getting cut from a budget perspective. Brands are looking to invest further uh, and deeper. And I think a lot of that comes from the kind of deeper understanding that they now have that diverse consumers provide a growth opportunity. Um, In a challenged economic environment from a macro perspective, Finding growth uh, is imperative, and so diverse consumers represent this new growth channel for them moving forward. Got it. And I have a a bunch of questions with how you're kind of approaching these, you know, go-to-market strategies with advertisers uh, right now. But before we get into that, I did want to also mention or bring up, because you guys did a lot of kind of building out of your uh, leadership positions this past year, including like adding to your C-suite. And so I'm curious what the kind of genesis was there of uh, investing in your leadership, I guess, again, to use that same word twice, but also just what your kind of strategy is looking ahead into 2024 and, you know, positioning the company, making this kind of your, I think we had talked about this as being like a very like, you know, go to market year, like a a coming out year to make sure that, you know, my code is top of mind. Um, But wanted to talk a little bit about your investment into, uh, your leadership before we get too deep into the conversation. No, it's a great point. You know, we've seen tremendous growth as a business overall, you know, from, you know, two to three years ago, we're two to three times bigger as a company in terms of scale, size, and employee base. Um, That growth has come off the back of organic growth. So utilizing the products that we've developed over the last nine, 10 years that are really powerful in marketing to diverse consumers digitally, but also through acquisitions. And so, you know, those 15 media properties that I mentioned earlier uh, that we've brought on through acquisition uh, have created an opportunity for us to have a bigger presence in the market. And so bringing all of those pieces together, coupled with our organic growth that has been tremendous, we need leadership for where we're going and where we want to go. And so, you know, we brought on a a new chief strategy officer in Edgar Hernandez, who was the the CRO of BuzzFeed and Complex, brought on Alexander Kennedy, who was uh, at Twitter to run our commercial strategy, Uh, Rebecca Rosengard from from uh, Twitter as well uh, to run our marketing. We brought on a new CTO. And so we've made critical investments from a leadership perspective to be able to elevate what we do in the market because we think the time is now uh, with the the movement and trends that we were been describing of dollars now moving into the diverse media and marketing landscape. It's critical that there's products that perform, there's products of scale, and there's products of authenticity. 
Um, if those don't exist within the ecosystem, the dollars that are moving into the diverse marketing space will go back to the general market because advertisers won't be seeing ROI. And so what we're really trying to do is invest just as much, if not more, than anyone else in the market to bring together products that perform for brands. We do that today. We want to do that better moving forward on a bigger scale and a bigger platform. So I was chatting with Edgar earlier this year about, um, it, I think at the time was like his, you know, strategy for CES. So, you know, getting out into the market at the beginning of the year, making those face-to-face connections with uh, advertisers and prospective clients and whatnot. I am curious kind of how you're approaching your your pitch to advertisers, to clients, to the market this year, um, keeping those things in mind, like your areas of investment, the fact that, you know, your audiences are uh, like lucrative and, you know, massive really for, for advertisers to be paying attention to this year. But what's your kind of, I guess, go-to-market strategy for 2024? Because I, I feel like it's always an interesting question to ask any publisher. The strategies for Ensuring ad dollars come through are, are very fascinating, uh, especially coming off of a rather soft 2023. Yeah, I think it's a it's a challenging market within the publishing ecosystem. But for us, you know, we continually see opportunities to further invest in the business. Our go to market strategy is unique to the client or the agency that we might be communicating with and helping them with their marketing initiatives because brands you know, have underinvested historically in diverse marketing. They might be at a different point in their journey. Some may never have done any multicultural marketing. Some may have been doing it for 30 years. And so we use the products and the data that we have to help come in wherever they are in their journey to evaluate their efforts that they're currently undertaking and help them to see opportunities that they may not see themselves. When you look across the marketing ecosystem, I think the ANA put out that 30% of individuals within marketing are diverse, and that's actually down from the prior year. And so there's a lack of diversity that exists within the ecosystem from a personnel perspective. And so data is going to be critically important to open eyes of everyone in the marketing landscape for what the opportunities are, but also how to tackle them. And so, um, you know, we come in with the brand, help them to use the data uh, and research that we have to become better informed. And then we help showcase amazing creative work that we've done with other companies within the same vertical uh, or generally speaking. You know, over the last 12 months, we've worked with over 200 brands. So the credibility and understanding and depth that we have across verticals and across clients is, is significant. And so we can really come in with an informed and credible voice to help them strategically think about, okay, how do I not only see the opportunity that exists with diverse consumers, which is growth, but how do I then capitalize and execute on it? And so that story is continual. And so we're investing more again in leadership so that we can get that story out into the market, shine a greater lens on the opportunity that brands have, but keep showing up more regularly and holding them accountable not to just put dollars into marketing for diverse consumers, but into a business imperative that they should feel like they have of where uh, they need to invest moving forward. Yeah. And to touch on the research piece, because it was something I was curious about, like, the more I talk to, uh, you know, 
the buy side or like publishers about cookie deprecation and the lack of being able to track, you know, users one-to-one. It seems like more data around audiences, more demographical information, pairing that with like contextual targeting and, and things of that nature to really kind of paint a very like cohesive picture of who you're trying to reach um, when you can't just depend on a third-party cookie to track them around the internet. I am curious, like, has that kind of either changed the way, like, you're approaching research or approaching advertisers with, like, the ability to figure out exactly who they're trying to reach and, like, what resonates with them? Like, has, like, cookie deprecation at all kind of changed the way that advertisers are really thinking about how they're understanding their audiences or who they're trying to reach. Yeah, I think the deprecation of cookie has opened up uh, advertisers and agencies to explore new ways of thinking about insights and data targeting. We're very well positioned within the change in the market landscape because of investments that we've made over the last two to three years, but also just because of the business uh, strategy that we have. So for us, when we think about research and data, it's a combination of context and first-party data. On the context side, our entire media business is built on contextually relevant websites. And so websites that are creating content for endemic audiences, whether that's Hispanic, Black, AAPI, or the LGBTQ plus audience, those are the websites that we work with. And so there's contextual relevance and understanding within our media landscape based on the strategy that we have from a media perspective. We couple that with first-party data that we have and that our partners have to really come together with a robust understanding of consumers. And those are the insights that really drive the decisions that we make, as well as the insights that we share with our clients. Um, And so as we get closer and closer to the client, bringing that data to life for them becomes critical in in success, especially with, as you mentioned, the the cookie deprecation, you know, has created just challenges of how to think about things and how to navigate them. And so uh, the consultative approach that we take with them through that journey, we think we're well positioned there. From like an audience perspective too, and, you know, being able to conduct research, I guess, how are you going about doing that area of the business? Because I feel like there's, you know, some media and maybe, I don't know about agency. I could speak more to the media side, but like who create yeah. like very big cohorts of, um, or not not even like big, but like compared to like their holistic audience, but like, you know, create like a network of like opted in audiences who are fans of the brand, who are willing to kind of spend the time to like answer survey questions versus like other publishers who maybe do like a micro surveying approach who have like a question here or there on their site to say like, hey, are you you know interested in this cultural event? Or like, how would you classify yourself like job wise or something like that? Like how is your kind of approach to, what does your approach to research look like in the way that it kind of correlates with your audience? Yeah. Um, So we pull in data insights from three different sources. One is through panel research. So asking questions to diverse consumers from a panel perspective. So we can survey, you know, 500 Hispanic individuals, 18 to 34, ask them 40 questions about, um, you know, their purchase intent for auto issues that are important in the next election or whatever questions our clients might have. The second is through um, content consumption. So we have more reach against 
diverse targeted content in the U.S., digitally speaking, than anyone else. And so from that, we see events on a daily basis of content being consumed by diverse consumers. So we understand based on that what they're consuming, where they're consuming, how those uh, consumption habits differ across the country or across audiences. Um, And then the third is through content production ourselves. So last year, we created over 100,000 pieces of content for the Hispanic community. That's a ton of content on a daily basis um, where we understand what they're consuming, what they're engaging with, uh, what, what they're sharing from a social perspective. And so those three inputs from a data perspective give us a robust understanding of diverse consumers that we're able to pull from, uh, aggregate together, uh, and then synthesize for our clients and be able to marry that uh, with our understanding of diverse consumers to really bring them not just uh, data, but digestible data that they can then utilize to execute in marketing strategies. Got it. Is that also helpful for your own kind of first party data strategy? Like, get, like again, with like cookie deprecation, because that's very much top of mind, uh, someone co- who covers, you know, media and advertising. Is that helpful as like you kind of work to maintain ad revenue in like what is gradually becoming a third-party cookie-less um, internet? Or like how does that kind of fit in with your own cookie deprecation strategy? No, 100%. It's intertwined. Uh, it's very closely connected uh, and comes together quite nicely uh, because we're able to utilize those insights and then target against them based on the first-party data. And so the the combination of utilization of that in different areas of the business, um, you know, enable us to be successful. Um, you know, one thing that really sets us apart, not only do we help brands be able to market to all diverse or major diverse segments across Hispanic, Black, API, and LGBTQ+, but that start-to-finish aspect so we can come in wherever our brand is on their journey is unique to us as well. Um, And the data that we have uh, to be able to uh, help with insights at the start and the data to help with content creation uh, as well as then utilize that first party from a media targeting perspective uh, really brings together a strong strategy by being able to unify and use data throughout that's connected from the same source. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Since we're a little over halfway through Q1, uh, which is a little hard to wrap my head around, to be honest, um, I'm wondering how, like, this year has been so far compared to 2023, which like as you know mentioned it it was a softer year it was a little bit of a difficult year for some publishers especially from an advertising perspective um you know social algorithms changed really like hurting traffic in a lot of ways but i'm curious how q1 has been so far for your company relative to last year and if you've noticed any kind of positive or maybe not so positive trends in how ad revenue is is flowing this year um, or what's kind of changed about, you know, the conversations you're having with advertisers. But yeah, how's, how's the start of the year been so far? Um, again, about halfway through Q1. It, it's been a good start of the year for us. You know, I think the difference that we saw at CES last year and CES this year, you know, both years, advertisers that we met with uh, at CES were listening, engaging, and having conversations. This year, they were more leaning into how to 
activate or execute against the information that we were sharing with them. And so I think that, you know, diverse marketing and media right is a vertical within the broader ecosystem. Um, and because of the opportunity for growth that these audiences represent and the underinvestment that brands have made historically, I think it's a unique growth area within the broader market. But it still remains challenged from a, a long-term planning perspective, right? I think what we've seen, you know, really since 20, uh, 20 or since COVID has really been uh, more in-quarter activity than longer-term planning and strategies. But I think as we enter this year, there was a, a feeling of more stability. And so it may not be robust growth in uh, advertising, uh, generally speaking, but there's stability in the belief that at least the, the floor within the market has been set and brands now have a better perspective moving forward that there's not this huge recession coming that they didn't know if it was going to come or not last year. Um, so that they're able to start planning and strategically thinking about one, two, three-year plans versus, you know, okay, what am I going to do for the next six months? And then after that, what am I going to do for the next six months? And so that I think we've seen really change in the market is just creating more stability. It might not be the stability and growth that we all want, but um, there's at least stability to make decisions uh, and activate partnerships with, you know, vendors like ourselves to think about how we work together from a longer-term perspective. Yeah, I think like it's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of publishers um, for this kind of like mid-quarter check-in just to see how ad spend is going, if there's been like measurable growth. And it, it's interesting because it's like I've heard by and large RFP volume is down, but there are bigger deals that are coming through. There's a lot more investment in like you know, renewed partnerships or going with, um, you know, media partners who can really deliver on what's been proven. And I feel like as much as there's a desire for in-quarter spending to kind of not be the dominant way to buy ad inventory, it, it really doesn't seem like it's shaking loose. And it's also been interesting to see like what strategies publishers have come up with to try and like stay on top of it, whether it's like using AI to try and like reduce the, you know, amount of response time it takes for an RFP or um, like hiring a, building out a client success team, like something like that. It's just, it's been interesting to see the responses to this compressed sales cycle that just seems to be persisting. Um, but the fact that there is more stability and also the fact that like you can maybe have conversations that look towards the end of the year and not just like in the next couple of quarters is, is good to hear. Is it largely focused on like, like the campaign types or like the, the mediums that uh, advertisers are interested in or how is like, I don't know, how have the creatives kind of influenced that timeline at all, if it has? Sure. We've seen huge growth uh, in our content business. You know, one of the acquisitions we've made over uh, the last year was a company uh, called Romescla, which is an award-winning, uh, you know, creative studio. You know, mentioned before, they won a can last year. Bringing their platform to more of our clients 
leads to longer term planning because there's creative aspects to it. And so I think when you think about branded content or integrated campaigns that include not just media, but content and social and even experiential events that we're doing, uh, we see a longer planning cycle for those uh, and brands leaning into those more now than they did last year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's counter to then on the media side, which is a which is a lot of this quarter in quarter activity that you're describing. And so um, I think, you know, COVID and the ability for agencies and advertisers to do more in quarter spending created a new norm yeah. uh, that they don't have to make these longer term commitments to be able to access the ad inventory on media sites that they want to. And so they're in a position to now continue to do that moving forward. I think you start to see some of that shifting um, as scarcity increases in different media formats. But, you know, I, I think we're going to see that continuing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel bad for uh, teams that have to, you know, spin out a campaign in a half the time they're used to. But I, yeah, I guess ad money's ad money at this point. You mentioned like experiential too. I'm curious like what the kind of appetite is with events and, and money kind of being allocated towards in-person activations. Because um, I've heard like more on the like B2B side, like business publishers have had a really strong run of it. And like last year was a good year for it. This year seems to be like a lot of investment into um, events and experiential. I just had a conversation with a digital publisher who is taking a step back from events because they've noticed a really big drop off in just like the first, what is it, like six or seven weeks of the year and like appetite for that. Curious like how you're kind of noting like, like any trends you're noting there and if there's been kind of like a lean back from events or if like that bubble has already kind of burst. But yeah, how has how has that factored into um, your business or, you know, clients' businesses as of late? Yeah, for us, it, we take a multi-pronged approach, right? Where in real life or experiential is one of those prongs. And so for us, you know, we want to help brands uh, when they have specific desires to uh, get closer to diverse consumers. And so in the, you know, combining programs that include digital and social and uh, content, uh, as well as uh, experiential events uh, and connecting those all together, that's where kind of powerful executions come to life. And so we see brands that want to invest in diverse consumers taking uh, a forward-leaning approach into that strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not for everyone, right? Not, a, not all brands feel like as comfortable in the experiential space right now as others do, um, especially if they have shorter planning cycles. But, um, you know, we're able to kind of bring together really that 360 diverse marketing approach. Um, and, and that's where it really um, comes together for a powerful execution. Okay. So still leaning in on your end. It's interesting. I'm, I'm curious how, I feel like there was like an event kind of bubble, like right before the pandemic. And then obviously the pandemic just like, you know, shut it down with a big grand swoop. Yeah. I was just going to say there's, there's optimizations within kind of experiential strategies, right? You know, when you look about, again, diverse marketing, right? And that 5% of overall budgets, you know, have brands actually thought about utilizing 
experiential or digital or media or social budgets uh, to really drive a diverse first approach. Um, and we see the answer, you know, time and time again, that they have not. And so helping them kind of see those opportunities uh, and really create, you know, new marketing strategies within existing lines of marketing that they've been doing, like experiential, um, is where we're trying to push brands to kind of rethink how they do things. Yeah. And also, like, 5% is such a small amount. And I know you said it earlier, and I feel like didn't really dig on it at that point. But is there, like, a way to, like, in, like, your sales team talking to advertisers about just thinking, like, for events, for example, like, tapping into an experiential budget versus, you know, multicultural budget or, like, trying to bridge the gap between different areas? Like, how has... How have those conversations been going if, you know, like 5% is such a small amount, especially when the audience yeah. that you reach is way bigger than than that. But like, what's the, I don't know, how, how has that conversation been changing? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're surprised by it every single day, uh, but we're also excited about it, right? You know, when you look at the population under the age of 42, it's majority not white. And so, you know, you have to think about how you're utilizing your marketing budget if you're not leaning into these younger audiences who are your current and future customers. Um, and that percentage is only going to increase of the population uh, moving forward that's not white. You know, it's a challenge to get the marketing ecosystem to evolve and innovate and do new things from a marketing strategy perspective, especially when something that's very key to them is efficiency. Um, and so you, when you look at the diverse marketing and media landscape historically, there's been few scaled platforms in the digital space to really drive ROI for brands. And so a lot of brands have tried over the last 20 years diverse marketing strategies in the digital space that have not worked out because they haven't seen the performance that's on par with their quote-unquote general market spend. What we've invested and built over the last nine years is a platform that they now have the ability to mirror the same performance metrics that they see on the general market side in the diverse marketing ecosystem, which we think will help, um, you know, move dollars into the space. Um, you know, we're big fans of what everyone in the, in the space is doing within our ecosystem because it's important for all of us to work together to really make change happen. Um, and so the more products invested in, the more dollars invested in, the more that it will change. Um, and so, you know, our mission is really to continually push investment in the space, diver you know, push investment into diverse media so that more is created and more opportunities for marketers exist. Uh, and if they do, then that 5% will change mm -hmm. um, and then that'll grow. And so, you know, that's where we're excited about the leadership hires that we've made, the acquisitions that we've made and the investments we've made in our business to really build a bigger, stronger platform so that brands get excited about the ROI that they see at scale with us. You had mentioned, too, like with the um, acquisition of Remezcla and the other Latinx digital media brands the, over the past three years, I think you said there was like 15 that came in through various moves. You're definitely increasing the scale of Hispanic media. And I'm, I'm curious because I think you had like kind of mentioned it when we chatted previously, but there's like this kind of 
forward momentum of like investing in this demographic and making sure that you're uh, creating like a robust portfolio there? And I guess, how are you thinking about what that means in 2024 and how you're kind of, you know, going to market with this very, you know, significant portfolio within your, you know, media offering in general? Yeah, I think, you know, we're excited about the portfolio because when you look at diverse consumers or Hispanic consumers, for instance, they're not homogeneous, right? They don't all go to the same website. They're not all the same person. Um, They come from, you know, from a Hispanic perspective, you know, over 20 different countries. Some are Spanish DOM, some are English DOM. 70% speaks both Spanish and English. Um, An individual in New York that's Hispanic is very different than someone in Miami and LA. And so, uh, a portfolio approach is really what's needed to be able to have as many touch points with Hispanic consumers in their digital content consumption daily journey. And so having that robust portfolio we have, we're incredibly excited about it. Uh, in 2024, we're looking to really unify the publisher uh, ecosystem that we've created uh, to bring it together in a more uh, connected fashion. Um, and so throughout this year, we'll make future announcements of what that looks like, how that comes together, and what that means for our brand partners. So excited to continually share with you those updates as we have them. And as we're getting towards the end of our conversation, I did want to ask what else you're kind of looking forward to in 2024 and, and what is kind of on your, you know, I guess, strategy checklist or areas of investment or growth beyond, you know, the changes that you've made in the past year, what keeps you happy or optimistic about this, this year? Yeah. So at the end of last year, we brought on a new owner, a private equity company called Project Black. That's part of Aerial Alternatives. Um, You know, their mission is similar to ours to really impact multicultural consumers. Um, Our mission is to increase authenticity and representation in the media and marketing landscape. Uh, And their mission is to increase the number of diverse suppliers that uh, exist in the ecosystem. Coming off that investment, we're incredibly excited with what that means for us as a business moving forward. You know, we've made uh, acquisitions historically to grow into a bigger pole position within the diverse marketing landscape. And so having uh, a, a partner that sees and believes uh, and is connected to that mission um, will enable us to do bigger things moving forward and continually invest in our business. And so in a challenged environment, we're going to be really uh, doubling our investment and you know thinking about how we continually supercharge our business to bring to market products that are better and better uh, and have more scale. And so we're going to look to continually invest in our research, in our media portfolio, uh, in our uh, creative studio, Um, And then also look inorganically at acquisitions in the future, because that strategy has really enabled us to to bring together better products under one roof uh, to make it more efficient for our clients to really execute scaled, uh, diverse targeted media campaigns. Awesome. Well, I am excited to hear or see the, like what kind of transpires from that. Um, any acquisition scoops are more than welcome uh, for my inbox. So I'm just going to put that slight plug there. But awesome. Thank you so much, Parker, for joining me on the podcast. No, I really appreciate it. Huge fan of what you're doing. I've been a huge fan for Digiday for, you know, many years. So uh, appreciate giving us the time uh, to share what my code's up to. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks 
again for tuning into the Digiday podcast. For more coverage of the media and marketing industries, check out digiday.com. If you're not already a member of Digiday Plus, be sure to subscribe to get exclusive content, research, guides, and more. Digiday Plus members also get access to weekly briefings from the Digiday Edit team, including our newest newsletter, The Media Briefing. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Digiday Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next week.